being data-driven can be great. It helps you to get an objective sense of where you are. But what metrics are important for startups? You might have seen this list of 24 startup metrics pop up on LinkedIn or Twitter. MRR, TCV, LTV, CAC, gross profit, MOM growth rate, you name it. This list was based on a 2015 blog post by A16C on metrics in a startup, or more specifically in a SaaS startup. And it makes sense from their 2015 portfolio point of view. They look at software startups and assess their health and try to see if they want to invest in them. However, if you are a very early stage startup and still figuring out your value proposition or solution, staring at your ARR, CHUR, MOM growth rate doesn't give you a lot of insight. More specifically, if you are pre-revenue, pre-product, most of those metrics will be zero or close to zero for weeks. These 24 metrics were never intended for that stage. But if you find yourself in the early stage or very early stage, you still might want to have something that gives you a sense of progress. In this podcast, I will give you the desirability skill. It's a skill I developed to give you some scaffolding on the very fuzzy early stage of a startup. Let's go. All right, welcome to the I Want Product Market Fit podcast. This is Jeroen Koele, and we're going to talk about desirability skill. Now, um, welcome everyone. We are over the 800 subscriber mark. Thanks for joining in. Almost to 1,000. Can't wait for that milestone. And that brings me to the segue into the actual content. So we talked about the 24 variables. I'm not going to list them all, but 80% of those variables focuses on the viability of the business. And that is appropriate for businesses that are in operation with actual customers. But at the very start of your journey, you don't have any customers. And therefore, at the very early stage of a startup, desirability is often much bigger of a risk than viability. And therefore, measurements of the very early stage should show you mostly desirability. To de-risk desirability, I like to see evidence on desirability. And that is twofold. One, I want to see evidence that people want your solution. Two, I want to see evidence that people want your solution so badly they are willing to pay for it. The problem is, is that you can't really measure desirability in the same way that you can measure viability. You can't count the value of a single potential customer interview in the same way you can count the lifetime value of a paying user. For example, problem interviews are good, but are they better than someone visiting your landing page? What about someone participating in your pilot? Is that better than getting a sign-up for your waitlist? We need something to assess the evidence of these types of signals. And in the desirability scale, I show you the empirical weight of certain signals. The scale shows which signals weigh a lot when it comes to evidence of desirability and which ones don't. To better understand the weight of evidence, we need to look at the currency the customer pays in. First thing to understand is that customers don't always pay with money. Early stage, sometimes potential customers, you interact with do always spend something on you. And I figured out five categories of currency. The first currency is attention. Are they willing to look at you, at your website, at your flyer, you name it. The second currency is time. Are they willing to spend time with you? 
for example, face-to-face -face conversations. The third currency is reputation. Are they willing to risk their reputation for you? The fourth currency is effort. Are they willing to put effort in for you? And the last currency is money. Are they willing to spend money on you? Now that we understand the currencies, we should look at the type of interactions that customers are doing with you. These currencies come in different phases. Ultimately, you need proof of money coming in. But at the start, there's no money coming in. I identify five phases. Each phase has a different composition of currencies that are dominant. So in the first phase, people engage with you as a person and the dominant currencies are time and attention. Signals here are, are you having problem talks? Are people willing to talk with you? That is a starting signal that you need. Another signal could be social media attention. Followers are always nice, but unless it's a huge number, it can't always be that impressive. Anyone can get a couple hundred friends to join, so what does it actually mean? Another low desirability signal is the media writing about you. Often this is a vanity metric. It's good for the ego, but often it results in traffic that doesn't convert well. It is for this reason that I've heard that Y Combinator advises against going to the media before you have product market fit. In the second phase, people engage with you for what you might offer them. Here we have the dominant currencies of time, attention and reputation. If you have spoken with people that actually have the problem, that's a pretty good signal. And if they are allowing you to do another talk about their problem, that's an even better signal. Sometimes people in those conversations say, oh, you should talk to this person as well. Or you can ask for that, like, is there anyone else that I should talk to? If people are willing to refer you to their network, that means you're credible enough to do that. And that's a good signal. Note, this can also happen in later phases, but this early on, this signal is the most valuable. This stage is also the stage that you can do some smokescreen kind of test and see if people click on your ads, you get some visits and maybe some signups. Those are generally good signals, but they are not the best signals ever. They st it's still low effort, low engagement to just quickly leave an email address. The first two phases of interacting with your customer are relatively low in terms of investment the customer is making. The customer is listening to you, you might offer something to them, but you're not reeling them in all the way yet. A way to reel them in is to propose a free pilot. The dominant currencies in this phase are time and effort because they're not paying for it. At the end of your problem talk, or maybe using your email list, you can ask them if they're interested in the pilot. And if not, that's a signal that you might not be talking to the right customer, or that your proposed solution is not the right one. As I said, the currency here is time and effort. Planning a pilot takes more effort than a regular sale. You are doing meetings, running them through how the pilot works, you're doing extra calls, every time asking for effort from your customer. So this is not for everyone. This is for the innovators that are okay with spending this extra because they are this driven to solve their problem. Not everyone that says yes will actually be onboarded successfully in your pilot. People drop off, they lose interest, that's okay. So this is something you want to watch out for. Like how many of the people that said yes to a pilot are actually active in our pilot? Even better is that... Are the pilot users getting value? Because this is a key question. Are they happy with the pilot? And there's many, many ways to measure customer satisfaction. MPS, CSAT, but the best way in general is to just ask them. 
Dating app Breeze phoned their first 100 dates, so that's 200 phone calls, just to understand that the value they were providing. Now we go to the fourth phase. People commit to pay to use your product. In the previous phase, you focused on value generation. This fourth phase focuses on signals of value capturing. Uh, dominant currencies here are still time and effort, but money is included for the first time here. If you can get paid pre-orders, that is a good signal. Not all products are easy to prototype or to pilot. Hardware can be harder to generate value in an MVP kind of way. Pre-orders can give you an idea of how desirable your solution is, including willingness to pay. It usually shows they're willing to wait for a longer period of delivery because most hardware products have that downside. This is a good desirability signal. The best proof that you can have in this stage is users paying to do a pilot with you. You can ask your free pilot customers at the end of their pilot to join the paid program. It can help to make this explicit at the start of the free pilot. Oh, this first pilot isn't us, we want to learn how to help you. Or you can ask for money straight away. If you can do that and you get yeses, that's a higher amount of proof. But you need to decide whether that's appropriate and whether you feel comfortable with that. Again, not everyone that says yes to a pilot becomes active. If they pay money, they're more likely to be committed. Um, but you should definitely reach out to the people that are not becoming active in the pilot because that's a goldmine for learning. Ultimately, we are not focusing on the activity only. We want to know if customers are happy in a paid pilot because this is your holy grail before launching. If your paid users in the pilot are happy, that means that the value generated is high enough for the price you set. And this is an extremely good signal. Note, this doesn't mean that your pricing is good and set in stone. That is something that you can always and should revisit later. A pilot, I like to see that as some kind of soft launch with training wheels. And most importantly, pilots don't scale. You do a pilot to learn. Ultimately, you want to have scalable sales. With scalable sales, your primary goal here is not to learn, but to earn. You still want to learn, that doesn't stop. But it's the sale according to a blueprint that you want to scale. Maybe self-serve or without the extensive support that comes with a pilot. If you are seeing these scalable sales happening, that is a really, really good signal. So that is very high on the desirability scale. So to summarize this fourth phase, it's about paid pre-orders, paid pilots, and scalable sales. Scalable sales are the epitome of desirability and willingness to pay and a bunch of other things that you have figured out. Now, I identify a fifth phase where the customer interacts in a different way with you, and I call that customer's champion for you. The dominant currencies here are reputation, money, and effort. Ultimately, what you want to look for is, are the scalable customers happy? If customers are happy with your non-pilot solution, that is great. It could be that you being there during the pilot brings a lot of the value. I've done experiments where I manually onboarded clients to on a platform and the NPS went up. However, when we rolled out the product with similar features, NPS went down. So make sure you keep track of this, that you are not the product, but the product is. Even better than having a happy, scalable customer is recurring sales. If applicable to your solution type, of course. Recurring sales are saying you not only provided value, you provided value in such a way they want it again and again and again. 
When it comes to reputation, people that really like you can start to risk their reputation. If you are getting five-star reviews, that's a really good signal. Customers are willing to risk their reputation to spread your gospel. That's as good as it gets. High MPS or high CSAT counts too. You can also look out for word of mouth. That's the holy grail because it's free marketing. Word of mouth is the reason people measure MPS and there's nothing better than being recommended by a friend. All this text is summarized in a nicely, neatly designed with some help and feedback of others. Visual, check out the link in the description. Um, how should you use this thing? You should be curious why your customers are not progressing in terms of evidence that they generate. Why can't you have a follow-up talk with this customer? Why is this customer not interested in the pilot? Why is this customer not happy in the pilot? And so on. Keep on asking why again and again and again. So there are some drawbacks to the thing that I realized this, this model has. It has a B2C, B2B SaaS focus. Um, that is because of the experience that I have and on the startups that I research in my PhD. It could apply to others. I'm not experienced in the field of deep tech or med tech, so let me know um, what adjustments are required for other fields. The second drawback is that it is imprecise. It's extremely hard to pinpoint how much evidence a signal holds, and therefore there's a lot of overlap between the signals. This is a suggestion by me of how you can interpret the signals, and I'm open to getting suggestions here. The third thing is that it can be hard to map out the differences. It's extremely hard sometimes to tell the difference between two signals, especially if we add numbers. Would you rather have a thousand genuine Instagram followers or 50 talks with people on the problem? Would you rather have 500 email signups or five free pilot participants? Would you rather have 20 paid pilots or five scalable sales? I don't know. This overview should be a starting point for discussions. And it is not rocket science. And also, this is the last drawback. This is version 2. So, I'm not done. I'm open to feedback. Let me know what you think. And you can do that by voting below. Follow the link in the description. And there is this, how was this one? The great good button. And also, if you are currently thinking about launching a startup or trying to launch a startup and you would need some one-on-one -on -one help, I do have uh, two mentor spots available. Check out the link in the description and you can schedule a free intake to discuss your needs uh, to figure out if I can help you further. This was the I Want Product Market Fit podcast. Until next time, I was Jeroen Koele and have a nice week.